Alright, so we're going to continue on with our discipleship training and um, as always we're going to start off by entering into the world of scripture the opponent says welcome to my world a place where your natural eyes can't see where your physical bodies can't be where the last is first the first is last the end is told from the beginning and when it appears those one is losing they're actually winning where trumpets are depicted as voices the persecuted righteous don't complain but actually rejoices here swords are likened to the word of demons of birth the dead are yet alive the living are actually dead blood and flesh are even depicted as wine and bread it's a place wherein the humble are depicted as poor, and the poorer one becomes, they're later, to find, they're later found to be that much richer. I'm speaking of no other place than the Yasin world of scripture. So please turn off your phones, perk up your ears, and get ready to listen, for Ruach HaKodesh is about to begin teaching. Hallelujah. All right, so we are exploring the story of Israel, um, as we've been doing for the last several weeks. And yeah, we're going to continue on today as well. And we are going to take it from the top. Hallelujah. Ah, in a minute. From the top is going to be the whole lesson. <laughs> but, you know, we're journeying through this wilderness. We're going to make it through. You know, So we're talking about Israel. We're talking about the son of Elohim which all of us are ascribing to be sons and daughters of Elohim, and if we aren't, we should be. Amen? You know, uh, you know. now, when we talk about Israelites, there are native-born Israelites, and they, there are those who have become Israelites or are becoming Israelites um, via proselytization or, you know, uh, you know, by coming through one of the other uh, one of the 12 tribes and, you know, and joining to Israel. So you don't have to be born in Israelite. You can become an Israelite. Just be, get to be an Israelite so that you can hear, you know, welcome to Israel. You know, but even in doing so, you know, you have to remain an Israelite. If you want to become a son or daughter of Elohim, you can't just used to be one because, yes, you can lose your citizenship. And so... That understanding that you know, you know, uh, one should should raise one's eyebrow to make certain that they don't actually lose their citizenship in Israel. You know, now every Israelite at some point will will have to go through Mitzrayim. They have to go through a learning phase. That is, they, they will have to go go through a phase whereby they'll find themselves. You know, learning about Yah, learning about His Word, learning about things of the world, you know, um, you know, uh, or things of Yah from the perspective of the world, you know. And so, just like everyone has to, uh, every Israelite will have to at some point come into Mitzrayim, they will also be called out of Mitzrayim, out of the worldly view of Yah's will, way, and purposes, and into His actual, the actual his actual will, way, and purposes. You know, and this is depicted in the Exodus and how they're journeying through through the Reed Sea, you know, which lands them in to their wilderness experience. Now, within this wilderness experience, you would be tested and tried, severely tested and tried. Yah is really going to test and try you. And so, you know, this is to see whether or not you really will serve him. It's to prove you. 
you know, and need to consider that, you know, if, if, if Yah proves us to make certain we're worthy, how much more so should we prove one another? Selah. During this spiritual experience, you know, 1 Corinthians, I mean, this wilderness experience, 1 Corinthians tells us, however, it was not the first, but the, nat but the natural and then the spiritual. So during this, this uh, wilderness experience, we will experience some natural things and we'll experience some spiritual things. But first comes the natural, then comes the spiritual. And so Israel, as they were going through this wilderness experience, they experienced first some physical some actual physical uh, tests and trials, you know, and so they in, end up uh, being physically challenged for hunger and Yah physically supplied their needs with manna from heaven. You know, and they said it looked something like this, you know, uh, we don't know exactly, you know, he also supplied them with physical water from a rock, you know, and we know that rock was Yahshua, you know, they in they embarked upon a physical battle with the Amalekites, you know, thereby showing us how to fight, you know, and showing us the nature of the Amalekites, how they attack us when we're down and out, you know, and you know, so we learn from there that as Moshe, we have to learn to rest on the rock. We have to learn to get us a light bringer. That's someone to help us see things from Yah's perspective concerning their situation, the situation and circumstance. And a her, you know, that is a righteous man to help help hold you up and keep you righteous as you go through that test and trial. And if you successfully keep your arms up with the rod of Elohim, that is with with giving everything over to him, all the support that you need, all the provision that you need, just trusting him with it, you will prevail. You know, and then after the natural trials, there will be spiritual trials, you know, and so the spiritual manner from heaven that they received was the leadership that they that they uh, established into the wilderness that was due to uh, Moshe's father-in-law Yethro's wise advice you know this was the birth of the rabbinic or oral Torah or oral law you know and so that was uh, that spiritual food and then they also had that spiritual manna and then they also had spiritual water and that spiritual water spoke of this spirit that Yah was sending the spirit or angel Yah was sending before them to lead them into the land of Canaan. Um, but before they get there, they had to stop by Mount Sinai. They had to stop by Mount Sinai because Yah had a proposition for them. And so they stopped there and he propositions them with, the, with his covenant. Amen? And so they uh, con consider his covenant. He tells them about the terms and conditions of his covenant in the form of his commandments. And then, you know, they're presented with actually two forms of Torah. They have the written and the oral. And this was just the beginning of the oral. And, you know, we have a few stories about how that how about how that go, but it's not in in um, in the text we're covering as of now. But 
just suffice it to say, they had the written Torah, which is the written word of Elohim, and the oral Torah, which was the case law that was established by those leaders that was that was uh, made in the wilderness. You know, and so to the proposition of Yah's covenant, Israel said, "All that Yahuwah has spoken, we will do." That's what they said. But unfortunately, that's not what they did. You know, but when they said that, they became Elohim's covenant covenant nation. You know, so that's Yasser. You know, and as his covenant nation, he commanded them to make him a dwelling place. He made he commanded them to make them a dwelling place within their midst. And so they embarked upon to do that. You know, he told them, you know, as far as where you can get the goods, that you're to get it from the offerings of the children of Israel. But the offerings had to be willingly given. You know, willingly given. Every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. That's the offerings that he, he was to accept. And then he told them about, you know, how he needed them, he needed them to make an Ark of the Covenant so that they have some place to store the covenant. And this upon this Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat, you know, and it was placed in the Holy of Holies, and this is where Yah ruled and reigned from. You know, and then well, anatomically, it was likened unto the mind. And then we had the golden table of showbread, which anatomically is likened unto the heart. You know, um, and then we had the menorah, you know, which he gave instructions to make, which could anatomically is likened unto the lungs. And then the branches of the menorah spoke to the seven churches or the assemblies of Elohim. And so within the menorah, we see, you know, the light, the wisdom, understanding and knowledge for the assemblies of Elohim. And then we had the brazen altar. It was given instructions concerning the brazen altar. And the brazen altar is just a picture anatomically of the GI tract, you know, from the mouth to the anus in all actuality. And then we had the tabernacle court, you know, that is the stakes and the, and the hangings that went around on which would anatomically speaks to the diaphragm. And he instructed them on how to make, uh, well, to gather olive oil so that they'll be able to have oil so that they can have, they can actually light the menorah. And then he instructed them on how to make the priestly garments and there are actually six pieces not eight you know um this list uh, actually separated the turban and the crown there you know you, they, they can be considered as one and then there were no pants so that would make six you know and then he gave them instructions on consecration of the priest and then they were to make the golden altar of incense and anatomically this spoke to the thymus and Altar incense speaks to prayer. He gave them instructions on a census tax whenever they count the people and, you know, they were to be taxed. They were um, to give a, give a tax. And then he gave them instructions on the bronze or brazen laver, which was made from mirrors so that one could see where they were unclean at and 
utilize the water, which represents the water of the word, to wash themselves clean. Then Yah introduced a recipe for anointing oil. This recipe for anointing oil um, was not to anoint man, but to anoint uh, the furniture that he told him to make the holy furniture and to set it apart. And then he put the spirit of wisdom upon Basilel and the holy eye, you know, and turned them from ordinary skilled men to extraordinary skilled men for making the things that he that he um, commanded to be made. And Basilel, his name spoke to shadow of Elohim, you know, you may recognize that from Psalms 91, says he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say of Yahuwah, he is my refuge and my fortress, my Elohim in him will I trust. You know, Basilel is the son of Uri or the son of Light, and he was also descendant of Her, which speaks to whiteness and liberty, you know, or righteousness. A holy Ab, you know, coincidentally, his name means the tabernacle of the Father, and he was specially chosen and anointed to help make the furniture of the tabernacle of the Father. What do you know? <laughs> Akisamach, you know, he was the son of Akisamach, which means brother of help, and lo and behold, he was the brother of help to Basileel. And he was from the tribe of Dan, which means judge or judgment. Then Yah reiterated his command concerning the Sabbath day and even went on to, to teach that his Sabbath day was a sign of his covenant betwixt Israel and himself. Now this is actually the sign of the covenant. Even as circumcision was the sign of the covenant betwixt Abraham and his descendants in Elohim. So the sign of the covenant of Yah with Israel or Israel with Elohim is the Sabbath day. Then we spoke about understanding the golden calf. Because, you know, after he's he's given them, them instructions and after they said that they do, and after they entered into covenant with him, you know, Yash, um, not Yahshua, but Moshe was called up into the mountain with Elohim in order to write these, uh, for Yah to give him some stone tablets in which he wrote these things in stone. Meaning that they're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to be done away with. They're etched in stone. They were literally etched in stone by Elohim. But whilst Moshe was away receiving these stone tablets. Lo and behold, they strayed. And they made a golden calf. Just that quick. You know, all that, all Yahuwah said we will do stuff. Well, the first couple things he said, they broke. Those, those were the commandments they broke. And they made this golden calf. Exodus 32, 30 and 31 says, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moshe said, Unto the people ye have sinned a great sin. You know, we talked about understanding the golden calf, you know, last week. And this is 
we're gonna pick it up from that point from what happened after, you know, they they made this calf, you know, and the three thousand died, so on and so forth. You know, and so he says, Yeah, great sin a great sin, and now I will go up unto Yahuwah peradventure that I will make atonement and atonement for your sin. And Moshe returned unto Yahuwah and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. That is, made men gods based upon their gold, you know, and not on Yahuwah's word, you know, because they only made one image, and that was the golden calf. It wasn't calves, you know. Uh, verses 32 through 35 goes on to say, Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not blot me, I pray thee out of the book which thou hast written. That was a pretty bold statement, was it not? You know, and Yahuwah responded. He said, and Yah it says, And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Whosoever sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore, now go lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And Yahuwah plagued the people because they had made the calf which Aaron made. Wow. So you see that? Now consider Exodus 32, 8. It says, they have returned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded. This is y'all speaking. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and worshipped it. And have sacrificed there unto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Misraim. You know, and so, because they did this, Yah plagued them. Can you see, because of their sin, Yah's plague came upon them. See, this is an important point that a lot of people just you know, run by. But this is pretty congruent throughout y'all's word, you know, people saying y'all plagues them. In other words, the plagues, the sickness, the disease, you know, come as a result of what his people do, i.e. sin. You know, so this is what they did. Now, consider Exodus 21 through 6, it says, And Elohim spake all these words, saying, I am Yahuwah thy Elohim, which have brought thee up out of the land of Misraim, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And they went and made them other gods. That's literally the first commandment he told them. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And they broke that one too. Thou shalt not bow thyself to them nor serve them. Yep, they did that. For I have thy Elohim, I that Yahuwah thy Elohim am a jealous Elohim, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Can you see that loving him is connected to keeping his commandments? 
you know, loving Yah is connected to keeping his commandments. You cannot keep you cannot love him without keeping his commandments, and you cannot keep his commandments without loving him. Well, maybe you can do the latter, but you can't love him and not keep his commandments. Hereby we see that Israel broke Yahuwah's first two commandments, even before he could leave off the mount. He came down on the mount to tell them the commandments, and before he can even leave, they broke them. And this is why he said, they quickly have went out the way in which I told them. Can you see that? Now, what becomes of our sin? Because they sinned, right? This was a pretty bad sin. They sinned. What becomes of our sins? Isaiah 59, 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your Elohim, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So your sin separates you from Elohim. Can you see that? Now, they just sinned a pretty big sin, did they not? And I want you to see that their sin separates them from Elohim. I know you don't believe me. So I'm going to have my first reader read Exodus 33, 1 through 7. Unto a land flow. And Yahuwah said unto Moses, Depart from me and go up hence. Thou and the and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob, saying unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in thy way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, they mourned. No man did put on his ordinance. For Yahuwah had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, Ye are a stiff-necked people. I will come up into the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore now put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. And the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by the Mount Horeb. And Moshe took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, afar off from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of his congregation. And it came to pass that everyone which saw Yahuwah went out unto the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without camp, without fucking. Hallelujah. All right, so Yahuwah told Moshe, Depart and go thence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Mizraim unto the land. And I will send an angel before thee. You know, that he tells them, For I will not go up in the midst of thee. No, I'm not going in the midst of you. For thou art a stiff-necked people. So I'm not going to go in the midst of you, lest I consume thee in the way. See, he already had plagued them, remember? You know, he's saying, look, you know, I've been uh, killed all y'all. 
Y'all playing with me. I just told y'all not to do this, and y'all turn around and do it before I can even leave. Yeah, nah. Before I can even leave off the mount. He said, I will come up in the midst of thee in a moment and consume thee. Y'all don't be playing. You know, now, verse 7 tells us, Moshe took the tabernacle and pitched it without the camp, but far off from the camp. You know, and so, again, you know, I want you to see that, you know, they sent this great sin, and that sin separated them from Elohim. And you can literally see this, you know, in the story of Israel. You know, they sent against Yah. And Yah tells Moshe, take my tabernacle out from the midst of you. And put it afar off. Because I can't dwell in the midst of you. Because you'll get consumed. See, sin separates us from Elohim. And so they sinned, and we see Yas, they see, you see the, the tabernacle of Elohim being separated from him. Yah is separated from him. You know, and so, like, you can clearly see that. Exodus 33 8 goes on to say, And it came to pass that when Moshe went out into the tabernacle, that all the people rose up and stood, every man at his tent door, and looked after Moshe until he was gone into the tabernacle. Now concerning the people rising up and standing, consider the following. In Job 29, 8, it says, The young men saw me, they hid themselves, and the aged arose and stood up. You know, so hereby we learn that this was done as an act of reverence. So this is why they was doing that. It was an act of reverence for Moshe as their leader, their mediator, and the minister of Elohim. You know, so they were just reverencing and, sh and showing, you know, showing their reverence for him and acknowledging that he was their leader and their mediator and the minister of Elohim. And that's important to to uh, to, to um, see. You know, this is this is why they were doing that. So this showed that they was like 100% behind him, you know, and they weren't looking for any other leaders or any other gods that was in their midst. I mean, you know, so they, they truly repented, in other words. Verses 9 through 11, it says, And it came to pass, as Moshe entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and Yahuwah talked with Moshe. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. Now this is interesting, like in the Hebrew, where it speaks about they rose up and worshipped. Because you know, it says they rose up, but the word worship is shakar, and it literally means to prostrate oneself. So on the surface, it kind of looks like an oxymoron, you know, like, well, how did they rise up and prostrate themselves? You know, but in all actuality, it's, it's just painting a picture of something like this. Bowing. It's just painting a picture of them bowing. You know, every man at his tent door, Yahuwah spake unto Moshe face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. Now that had to be awesome. And he turned again into the camp 
but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. Now, I want you to meditate on that. There's a lot in that. There's a lot in, in Joshua, you know, the son of Nun, a young man departed not out of the tabernacle. There's a lot in there. You know, just, you know, that's just uh, what they call it, extra credit. You know, meditate on that. That's just a wealth of um, information that's in there and a blessing. You know, let me have my next reader read Exodus 33, 12 through 17, please. And Moshe said unto Yahuwah, See, thou sayest unto me, Bring up this people, and thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. And thou hast all and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Okay, so here it is. Moshe is interceding on behalf of Israel. You know, he says, you know, thou hast not let me know whom thou was sent with me. You just told us you're going to send somebody. You're just going to send an angel. You ain't let me know who it is or nothing. Yet thou sayest, I know thee by name, and thou hast found grace in my sight. So Moshe is con contending with God and saying, that don't sound like grace to me. You know, saying, now if I really found grace in your sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee. And that I might find grace in thy sight. And that is a, you know, I remember I prayed this prayer several times, like, you know, in the beginning stages of, of my walk. This was like one of my main prayers. Show me thy ways that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight. You know, that's a awesome prayer. You know, and so this is what Moshe was asking, you know, and he did actually find grace in Yah's sight. And so Yah told him his presence would go with him. You know, and, you know, Moshe, I thought this was a little extra, but he said, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. You know, for wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? You know, is it not that thou goest with us? I we found grace. I found grace in your sight, and you don't want you want to leave. You know, so Yah, he acquiesced to this as well. He says, "I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name." So take note that it's due to Moshe finding grace in Yah's sight, and Yah knowing his name. That he was successful during his mediations with Yah. And remember, a name entails one's character. 
authority and reputation. So, you know, Moshe had to have a Yasin character for y'all to know it. You know, and he had found grace in his sight. You know, remember, grace speaks to a reciprocal system of favors. You know, and so, you know, Moshe had done, you know, some, been a great service to Yah in, in accomplishing what he wanted uh, done. You know, and so he did find, find grace in Yah, you know, returned to favor by sparing Israel. So you see how that worked? That's grace. It's a back and forth thing. It's not just, you know, one person just bestows kindness, you know, forever, you know, and the other person just receives forever. No. It's a reciprocal system of favors. Let me have my next reader read Exodus 34, 1 through 7. And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Heal thee two tablets of stone, life, like unto the first, and I will write upon these tablets the words that were in the first tablets which thou breakest. And be ready in the morning, and come up in the morning unto Mount Sinai, and present thyself there to me in the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen thou throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tab he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first, and Moshe rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai, as Yahuwah had commanded him, and he took and took in his hand the two tablets of stone. And Yahuwah descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahuwah. And Yahuwah passed by before him and proclaimed, Yahuwah, Yahuwah Elohim, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that would, and that would by no means <coughs> clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon upon the children and upon the children's children, unto the third, and unto the fourth generation. Hallelujah. So hereby we learn that Yah will forgive iniquity, transgression, and sin of some, but will by no means clear the guilt of others. Did you catch that? Verse 7 says, you know, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. You know, so some, he forgive their iniquity, transgression, and sin. But he won't clear the guilt of others. But why? What's the distinction? Well, I'm glad you asked, because I was pondering that myself. And so, to answer it, let's go to Leviticus 6. I'm going to read verses 2 through 7. It says, If a soul, soul sin and commit a trespass against Yahuwah, 
and lie unto his neighbor in that which was delivered unto him, or in fellowship, or in a thing taken away by violence, or have deceived his neighbor, or have found that which is lost, and lie of concerning it, and swear falsely, and in any of all these things that a man doeth, sinning therein. So whatever he does, it's a trespass. You know, then it shall be because he hath sinned and is guilty that he shall restore that which he took violently or the thing which he hath deceitfully gotten or that which was delivered to him to keep or the lost thing which he found. And so the key is he'll be he'll, he shall he shall be because he have sinned and is guilty, you know he has sinned and he has guilt, and because of this he shall restore. He has to make restoration, you know, and that's the key factor, you know. In verse five, it continues on. It says, "Or all that about which he have sworn falsely, he shall even restore it." in the principle and add a, the fifth part more thereto and give it unto him to whom it appertaineth in the day of his trespass offering. He shall bring his trespass offering unto Yahuwah, a ram without blemish out of the flock with thy estimation, which speaks to the fifth, for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before Yahuwah, and it shall be forgiven him for anything of all he have done in trespassing therein. Okay, so, you know, the key is restoration. And the key also is, you know, offering the trespass offering. You have to do these things. See, I always try to get across to y'all's people that Yah is an L of specificity and that you can't pick and choose to do things the way you want to do them. You have to do them in a manner that Yah acts of thee. Otherwise, Yah won't accept it. You can think it's fine, but Yah may think he will think otherwise and he won't accept it. It has to be the way that he says it. So what if one doesn't make restoration? You know, Will he still be free of sin and guilt? Absolutely not. See, but I want you to think about this because I'm pretty certain everybody in here at some point done wronged someone else. Amen? Done trespassed against their brother or their sister in some way, shape, form, or fashion. You know, but the point being, you have to atone for that. You have to be atoned for that, you know, and this is the sacrificial system that Yah set up in order for that to happen, you know, so restoration first and foremost has to be made. So if someone, if you wronged someone, you know, took something from them, you have to restore it first and foremost. You have to restore whatever it is, you know, um, and then secondly, you have to add a fifth to it. So not only do you have to restore the principle, you have to add a fifth to it. You have to give extra. And this actually goes to the individual that you trespassed against. 
See, and this is a very important law in Israel because this is what helps, this is what helps people get along. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Say you transgressed against someone, you know, you took something of theirs, and now you want to atone for it. You're feeling bad, you know, you're ashamed of yourself, and you, you say, okay, well, you know, what does y'all say to do in this? You know, in this um, case, and so you wanna you wanna make it right. So you go to the person and you tell them, you look, I'm sorry, I apologize. You know, I was wrong. And then you know, say you you you, you know, you took their book or whatever. So you restore the book. But then you know, um, or whatever it, it was, you restore it. But then you have to estimate a fifth of what it's worth or what it costs, and then you have to get that too. Now imagine if you're the person on the other end. Imagine if you're the person that was wronged. And so here it is, you were wronged. Someone took something from you or someone transgressed against you in some type of way, shape, form, or fashion. You know, And they come and they try to restore things with you. Say they apologize. You know, and they just say, you know, I, I apologize, and that's all they do. Well, you may be willing or not be willing to accept that apology just based upon that, because you may not, you know, think it's sincere, or you may think that, you know, it's just, you know, someone else urged them to do it, or whatever the case may be. You know, but, you know, if they gave you a fifth with it, then that may change things. And that's what y'all is saying to do. So, you know, y'all forbid if you took your brother's car, yeah, that's gonna be a, that's 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 gonna be a, an expensive restoration. You know, you give because you have to get a car back, and then you gotta estimate a fifth of what they lost from from the car, you know, technically speaking. You know, you have to add it. You have to restore them, and then you have to add a fifth. So you know, the car worth five thousand, then you know, um, you know, well, we'll just keep it simple. If it's worth a thousand, then you have to give them two hundred. You know, if it's worth five thousand, then you have to give them a thousand. So yeah, you have to add a fifth to it. So. The person may not be, you know, they may be a little more willing to forgive once they had a vehicle back, you know, and then they have a thousand dollars to go with it. Can you see that? See, I want you to consider that in conjunction with our with our current justice system. So if somebody steal your car today, you know, if you get it back, you know, um, you better. You, you got to pray that it's not tore up or, you know, damaged. But if you get it back and it's not damaged, that's all you get. You don't even get, you know, and the person that took it, they get to go, they get, they get some type of fine or, or penalty, whether it's jail time or whether it's a fine or what have you. But you don't benefit from that. The courts do. Can you see that? 
You know, so maybe, you know, they have to pay this big fine, but you don't get it. The courts get it. But with y'all system, you get it. You get the fifth. And you get your car back. And if there's any damage, they have to restore that. And then they have to add a fifth. So you see, Yah's way of restoration and restitution is much more just. You know, here it is. You know this person who took your car. And now you get your car back. They pay this big fine or they or they go to jail for, for a time. But when you see that person, you're still mad at them. You're still mad at them because you don't feel, you feel like you got the short end of the stick. They stole your car, yeah, you got it back, but it, your car was gone for two months. Because you ain't had no car, you lost your job. Because you ain't had no job, you got put out because you couldn't pay your bills. You know, it was just a major inconvenience. Well, under Yah's system, they have to reimburse you for all that inconvenience. They have to restore you whole and then add a fifth to it. But under man's system of justice, maybe they go to jail for six months and then they're let out. But you still had the situation, you know, that happened to you whereby, you know, you lost your vehicle, you couldn't get to work, you lost your job got behind in your bills, may got put out your place, so on and so forth. And now you see this person, you know, you're going to have, you know, many people will have, let me put it that way, many people will have animosity in their heart towards that person because they feel like, you know, they caused them all that headache. And for what? Because they wanted to go joyride in their car. Can you see that? You know, but under Yah's system, you know, they would have to repay that person. And so when that person looks at them, they're not as upset because they've been restored. Not only have they been restored their vehicle, they've been restored their lost wages, they've been restored, you know, any damage that was done to the vehicle, and they've been restored a fifth of all that on top of that. Y'all's way is a much better way. You know, and the point that I'm making here, what if one doesn't make restoration, does would Yah hold them guiltless? No. Because he tells them to make restoration. Can you see that? What if one make restoration but don't add the fifth to it? They still guilty. You know, and so you may think because you gave the car back, y'all good. Even Stephen, right? No. Y'all says no. Y'all says you have to add a fifth to it. And if you don't, then you're still guilty. And he says that he will visit that iniquity, not only upon you, but upon your children, upon your children, children, up until the third and fourth generation. What if one doesn't present a ram without blemish? You know, and the ram could make you say, okay, I got a ram, I got a, I got a, you know, because this is spiritual now. So you say, I got a spiritual ram without blemish, I'm going to present Yahshua. Hallelujah. But if you didn't make restoration, it's still no good. And then if you, add a, if you made restoration, 
but you didn't add that fifth to it, then you're still guilty. See, it's not just about the ram without blemish. It's not just about the sacrifice. Can you see that? You know, you have to have it with thy estimation. You know, and this is on top of restoring the person. What if one presents a ram without blemish, but not via Yah's priest? You know, and so here it is. You go and try to do all this stuff yourself, and you don't go through Yah's priest, his mediator. Can you see that you still retain your sin and you still guilty? Why? Because Yah is not going to hear your prayer. Why? Because what does sin do? Somebody help me out on that. It separates you from Elohim. So can't you see that once you have sinned, you can't atone for yourself because you can't be heard because your sin separates you from Elohim. So you have to go to his priest to make an atonement for you. Because his priest is his mediator. And he can go before him. And this is what we're seeing with Moshe. All of Israel was with sin. Except Moshe and Joshua. Why? Because they weren't there. They were with Yah. Up in the mount. Remember? So this is why they're the only ones who could go to the tent of congregation outside of the camp. Because they're the only ones that would be accepted of him because they're the only ones without sin. I pray that you can see this picture because this is huge. Because a lot of people running around unatoned for, but they could be atoned for. But they have to do it Yah's way. You know, if if you miss one of the steps, then you run the risk of remaining in your sin. You run the risk of remaining with your guilt. And if that happens, then you stay separated from Elohim. I pray you can see that. That's huge. That's really huge. Let me have my next reader read verses 8 through 15. And, and Moses made half haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in this in thy sight, O Adonai, let my Adonai, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvelous, marvelous, marvels such as have not been done in all the earth. 
not in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of Yahuwah, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Absolve thou that which I commanded thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Prisonite and the Haviite and the Jebusite. Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whether thou goest, let list it be for a snare in the midst of thee. But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. groves. For thou shalt worship no other god, for Yahuwah, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous Elohim. Let thou make a covenant with the in inhabitants of the land, and thy go a warning warning after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice. Hallelujah. So here it is. Yah is saying, I make a covenant. Amen. You know, now I want you to pay close attention to this, because this, a lot of people do not understand what it means to covenant with Elohim. You know, they think it's just, you know, some kind of promise or something, you know, that just stands in and of itself. No, there's a terms and conditions to, to any covenant. He says, I make a covenant, you know, and then he says, before all thy people, you know, I'm going to do these marvels, but I'm going to, I'm going to make a covenant, you know, and then all this other stuff is based upon this covenant. You know, he says, Observe thou that which I command thee this day. So he's going to make a covenant, but you have something that you have a part to play. You have to observe what he commands you. What he commands you this day. And then he goes on into giving them some commandments. He let them know what he's going to do. He says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to drive out before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, the High Tide, the Perizzite, the High Bite, the Yebusite. I'm going to do that. I'm going to take heed to thyself. You know, so he says, you take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You can't make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whether thou goest. Why? Because it'll become a snare in the midst of thee. So don't do that. But instead, you should destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves. These are commands he's telling them to do in conjunction with the covenant that he's making them. Can you see that? He tells them, you know, part of this covenant is thou shalt worship no other god. He said, for he's jealous. He's a jealous elf. He says, you know, and besides, if you do this, if you make covenants with the inhabitants of the land, you'll go whoring after their gods and do sacrifice to their gods. And if you do that, then he's going to have to separate from you. And if he separates from you, then you obviously won't have his covering. It continues on in verses 16 through 23. My next reader, please. And thou of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a whoring after their gods, and make, the, make thy sons go a whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods, 
the feast of unleavened bread shall thou keep. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, as I commanded thee. And in the time of the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib thou camest out from Egypt. And all that opened the matrix is mine. And every first firstling among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male, but the firstling of an behind, thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou redeem him not, then, then shalt thou break his neck. All the firstborn of thy sons sh thou shalt redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. Six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In earing time and in a harvest thou shalt rest, and thou shalt observe the feast of weeks, of the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Thrice in the year shall all your men children appear before Adonai Yahushua, the Elohim of Israel. Okay, so he continuing on with the com commands of his covenant. He says, Thou shalt not make no molten gods. You know, make thee no molten gods. He says, The feast of unleavened bread thou shalt keep. And if you're going to be in covenant with Elohim, then you have to keep the feast of unleavened bread. He says, All that open the matrix is mine. If you're his, then Everything that opened the matrix up that belongs to you is you owe to him. He says, every firstling among the cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. He says, you know, um, that of a uh, of a donkey or a behind, you know, you have you have to redeem with a lamb. But he says, all the firstborns, even your firstborns of thy sons, you have to redeem. You know, and he says, none shall appear to him empty, you know, when you come before him. He says, six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. So, he's saying, if you're going to be in covenant with him, you have to keep the Sabbath. You have to keep the Shabbat. He says, and thou shalt observe the feast of weeks. That's Shavuot. You know, and he says, uh, the first fruits of the wheat harvest. You know, so you have to keep all his first fruits and then you have to keep the feast of ingathering at the year's end. And that's Sukkot. Thrice in the year all your men shall appear before the Adonai, the Elohim of Israel. This is a part of your covenant with Elohim. You have to come before him, you know, during his spring festival, during his first fruits, and during his fall festival. You know, and people don't understand, like, this is this is actually a part of the covenant. It continues in verses 24 through 28. It says, For I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Now he's telling what he's going to do. He's telling you what you need to do, and he's, he's telling you what he's going to do. He goes, continues on to say, Neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go up to appear before Yahuwah thy Elohim thrice in a year. He said, I got you. When you come... To um, worship me, I'm going to watch over your places. And I'm going to make certain nobody bothers it. Even though you're going to be gone, nobody going to touch nothing. I got you. He says, thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. So he's saying when you do come and you offer your sacrifices, don't do it with sin. 
Don't do it with leaven, which represents sin. You have to make yourself clean and holy when you go before him. He says, the first of the first fruits of thy land shalt thou bring into the house of Yahuwah thy Elohim. So whenever you have your first fruits, whenever you have your harvest, you have to bring the first of it to him. And this is why we do the first fruits of barley, the first fruits of wheat, the first fruits of, of the wine, and the first fruits of the oil. He says in verse 27, he says, And Yahuwah said unto Moshe, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. After the tenor, or the mouth, or the speaking of these words, I have made a covenant with thee. And he was there with Yahuwah 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So hereby we learn that it is by the tenor or the mouth or the words of these particular words that we just went over that Yah has made his covenant with Israel. Your covenant with Elohim is dependent upon you keeping his commandments is dependent upon you keeping his feast. It's dependent upon you coming before him when he tells you. But so many people today seem to have this understanding of his covenant as something that you just entered into and presto change, you're saved and that's it, that's all. There's nothing else to do. But as you see, with these words, Yah said he's going to do some things and then he tells you some things you have to do. It's a back and forth. It's not just a one-sided thing. And the people of Elohim has to, they have to get this. Because if you don't even understand what you're covenanting into, then how are you going to properly keep the covenant? If you don't properly keep the covenant, whether you do it out of ignorance or not, you still are going to receive the penalty. Understand that. So, I really pray that you take that to heart, you know, and